0: The hardest part, Robbie, is you know when you hit the 110 mark, there's that 30K descent. And to descend for 30 kilometers is just something that your brain can't even comprehend. And like it's a descent that you come down for 30K, but not only do you come down, but they kind of bring you down. In, like in this race, it's terrible. They keep on trying to bring you down off the mountain, and you think you're going to come way down. And it's just to bring you into a village for two minutes. And then they bring you back up again, and you get really cross because you you kind of say I could have just went across the valley, or I could have just contoured around that mountain. You keep on bringing me down to look at these grapes or flowers in the shop or something, and then I have to gotta go back up again. And they continue to do that through the race, and um, it's quite funny like from that perspective because you just get so annoyed like because you're you want to just keep climbing, climbing, climbing. It's like down, up, down. But like on the 30k descent then. Like, I was lucky because I had read uh, Adrian Tucker's blog beforehand, and it was really long. It was like 16 pages in vivid detail. And they bring you down to the ascent, and again, rather than going straight, 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 straight down, they zigzag you across this bridge and make you kind of walk down these Roman steps, you know, these really old cobble steps where your knees are banjoed from coming down a 10k descent, and then you cross another bridge as as if they're bringing you across another bridge because they found some other horrible steps on that side and you're going down that and it continues to do that the whole way down and then when you come right back down to the village the village has got the worst cobblestones you've ever witnessed in your life and then you walk across them and then they bring you to this sharp descent on tarmac that's got these zigzags and eventually you get down to the hut and you're just going why it's just like it's just torture
1: that my friend was Richard Noonan and this Is the Inspirational Runners podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to our UTMB special. My name is Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. With UTMB race announcement planned for the 20th of May, I thought it'd be a great idea to unpack each of the top four races that are currently scheduled for the last week of August PTL, UTMB, TDS, and CCC. There was no one more suited to this job than Ireland's very own Richard Noonan, who has crossed the finish line in PTL, UTMB and TDS. Throw into the equation towards the jump, and we have the perfect candidate. There is a significant DNF rate in these races. Last year alone seen PTL 23%, UTMB 39%, TDS were the same. CCC had a 26% DNF and Tour de Jean had 60%. So it's remarkable that Richard managed to cross the finish line in each of these races. In this episode, which will be released today, the 9th of May, we lean on Richard's experience to gain an insight into each race, including kit breakdown, course profile, fuel training. Richard is also the race director for the Morris Mullins Ultra and has a strong background with good times at all distances. Along with a lot of success in the adventure racing scene that stands by him during these longer, more challenging Alpine races. Fingers crossed to make something happen for those in for this year, if not, hopefully this episode will give you a deeper insight into what's required to be successful in the world's most challenging and epic trail running festival. Before we start, I'd just like to give a shout out to the sponsors of this episode, Spring Energy Gels, it's a great natural product that I've been trying over the last few weeks. It's just what I've been looking for to help me navigate away from the GI issues and energy crashes that I've been having during events. It's made from real food, it has no maltodextrin added, no sugar added, no preservatives, artificial colours or concentrates. It's made with 100% natural foods such as rice, beetroots, banana, coconut water, only high quality ingredients which has been driven by science, equipped with a vast athletic experience and inspired by passion for a healthy lifestyle. And all listeners can benefit from 15% off their vegan range by using the code Spring during the month of May. They have a great eight-pack vegan sampler, so why not give them a try? There is a little bit of sound interference during this podcast. I hope it doesn't take away from the good content. Not to hold you up any longer, it's with great pleasure I give you Richard Noonan. Ultra Trail, Mount Blanc, um, it's the biggest race that's out there, really. 171k, near 10,000 meters of climbing. You need 10 points over two races to get in. It costs 208 euros, for those who don't know that. Um, last year, there was 2,543 people entered the race, and only 1,556 finished. So it had a 39% DNF. So people need to be aware of that. Like, you know, these aren't... It's a difficult race. It might be 171 kilometers, but it goes round. The entirety of Mont Blanc. And, you know, it's it's around a 46-hour cutoff.
0: Yeah, 46 hours. Yep, that's the one.
1: You know, so you're going over, you're going at least a day and a half in this race. So talk to me about your preparation on a race like that.
0: I think a lot of it is kind of um, driven by the races that you do. Look, being honest, like for me, I think that the preparation races have an awful lot to do with how you prepare for the main race. So I think if you're not successful, and that's why I kind of like that they're doing, you know, that kind of two five pointers or a six pointer and a four pointer, because I think if you haven't trained for something like the the carry ultra, let's say, or the Wickloway race, or if you, you know, pick one of the long, like the Highland Fling or you know, one of the longer ones, like you shouldn't really be turning up for Mont Blanc. You know what I mean? And it's like I think that's the nice thing about it, is you do have to do a couple of long races, and I know it's a draw and I know it's a lottery. But at least then you're, it's a two year plan. I mean, you're doing the first year, you're doing all your races, you're finishing them well. And then, you know, you could then start your preparations on a good basis for the UTMB. Like somebody's, I remember somebody telling me that the guy, uh, Adrian Tucker, is a very good friend of mine. And he's done all these races as well. And like, you know, he kind of went, you can, you'll do the UTMB because you've been running for a while as opposed to doing specific training. Like, there's time in the legs. But if you don't have mountains in the legs, it's not a lot of fun because in Ireland, the hardest part about UTMB is to try and train for, you know, those long, long climbs. And more importantly, those long, long descents. <laughs> and if you can't control the descents, your race is over. Like, I mean, like, so to prepare for the UTMB, like, I mean, you're lucky you have the mourns, right? I mean, like, you know, if you go down off, like Donard is one thing. Okay. I mean, UTMB, like we'll talk about probably the different trails and terrains in a second, but like you know, if you if you go to Donard or if you go to kind of any of those like coming down off you know all the various
1: mountains like or Lamegan or any of those races like
0: like Berna is probably one of the best mountains that we have to you know come down mm-hmm. the side of Berna and try and find your lines coming down off Berna is probably one of the best running exercises you can do unless you go you know further west where you've got the 12 bends or the italian alps you know the the horseshoe that kind of the country but like at least with barna it's it's about as comparable if you want to get good technical descending into your legs like we could talk about it after but like one of the most frightening things i've ever looked at in terms of a profile was in the tour de jean when you get to the 110k part of the race there's a 30k descent and you're just going how can you descend for 30 kilometers it's just mind-blowing until you get there then it's far worse So, but like, if you go back to the UTMB and trying to prepare for the UTMB, you've got to be able to run long, as you said, you've got to be able to handle food and feeding on the move. You've got to, you know, when you go into those, um, you know, those places where there's so much food and so much choice, you've got to understand in your brain that you can't stay there all day and decide what you're going to have. You've got to, you know, get in and get out. And the most important thing is you've got to let the gravity do the work on those descents because... You know, so so, in terms of preparing, right? you can do all your training and get as much time in your legs, but nothing prepares you for. you know, I think especially in the second half, the mentalness of those climbing for, you know, you're climbing for a half an hour look, you know, of call ferret, like all these different climbs for such a long time,
1: especially at night. Nighttime, like you come to the bottom of that climb at night and you look up. And all you see is these head torches zigzagging. And you're like, it couldn't be like, it just can't be that high. Like.
0: So I, I wrote a blog on 2013 and it's called Racing to the Stars because <laughs> you're looking up and you can't tell the difference, right? You're like looking at the, the head torches and you're looking at the stars and you're going, which is which? And you're going, couldn't <laughs> be that high. But you, that's the mistake though, isn't it? Like the mistake is to look up. I mean, you've got to look at the ground, follow your feet and just keep one foot in front of the other. And I know it sounds like such a cliche, but unless you like, that's the thing about the UTB race itself, actually. It's quite designed to like hurt you in a bad way. And I think because the last three climbs, like, you know, when you're kind of going, and you you had the same three climbs in the CCC, like the third last climb going up the Tat, like, is, there's no rhythm in the mountain. So you're trying to climb this mountain and there's these boulders and there's these rocks and there's a bit of steps in the middle of nowhere and you're just trying to go up and up. Whereas the earlier mountains, like, even though, you know, Caldabon Om yeah. is, a, is a high mountain, but it's got a zigzag going nicely, and you're climbing, and you're climbing, and you're climbing, and you're climbing. But when they ruin that rhythm for you, it becomes very frustrating in the second half of the race. But like you know, it's it, that's what it's designed for. You know, it's a tough, tough, you,
1: tough Then race. you have the downhill afterwards, and like after that that climb you just talked about, there was five miles downhill, and that's where the suffering comes. Like,
0: absolutely. And you and like okay, so when when you look at UTMB, right, you've got to split it up into two, right? So so let, let's go back though. Let's go back to the nice part, <laughs> right? So. The UTMB start line is possibly the best start in the world, right? So, you know, you you, you rock up. Everybody's full of emotion. I mean, it's kind of nearly worth – I don't mind the people leaving because they've all went to the start because the start is so good. But it's full of emotion. You know, you're with all grown men. Uh, they're playing, you know, Lazing Glass in 1942. The music is pumping. There's grown men nearly crying because they've spent two years training for this, and the day has finally come and I don't know, my heart has never raced so fast in all my life, but like, the warning that you get is whatever you do, don't go off like a train, right? I mean, how do you do that after standing there for probably an hour with all these people around you who are all in their best gear because they're doing the UTMB and they're, you know, all absolutely focused and they've marched out like all the all the athletes that you've dreamed about seeing in your life you've got Kylian Jornet you've got Pierre you've got Francois you got you know they're all been rolled out everybody's pumped and then you're going down these narrow streets thronged with people and you're just trying to hold on for dear life not to take off on this express train that has just headed out of Chamonix in the direction of les O's. it's just like nuts and like you can't stop and I remember like I remember when I ran it the, the first time. I had ran probably nearly a PB for the 21k because you go down the street, you go through the, you know, this like trail. Everybody's like egging for a position, and we're only like 5k into the race, and they're jumping up on hedges and around one another. And then eventually you get to the climb. You go up the first climb, and then everybody's bombs down it like down this grassy climb, and everybody's still a full tilt. And then you start to climb up to Calderbonham, and the next thing is like. <gasps> <sighs> What the fuck? <laughs> I remember, I remember like going, oh, my God, I've blown my, my race already. Like it was like about 15K in, and you're just like, uh, 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 and then you're climbing. And then that's when the race starts, right? And then you've got to do that for another 30 hours. <laughs> it's, it's nuts. So advice for anybody doing the UTMB is it's very hard to do. Enjoy the moment, but you've got to go out easy. It's such a long run. And I have to say, like, the biggest tip that I'll ever give anybody is don't accelerate down the ascents. Just like for me, I put the sticks away and I just glide. And I suppose the other thing that we should say is because many people have done it like, um, again, you know, it's a couple of years since I've done it. But like when I was there in uh, 2013, everybody didn't have sticks like poles. You know, there's no hero here, lads. You know, ladies, you bring your sticks. It's a no brainer. Everybody will tell you the two big decisions you need to make when you're going to the UTMB is what shoes you're going to wear and what sticks you're going to bring. And you go for comfort over grip. You don't turn up in your innovates mud claws. Mm-hmm. You know you, you turn up. There. You need shoes to race for. You know a lit, like a half size bigger if you can. But basically that's it. You you know your feet and your poles and wear clothes that you're you know comfortable racing because you got a bit of gear to carry with you. And a lot of people aren't used to wearing that backpack or running with the pack. And I guess. You know, they're the things that I suppose we picked up from adventure racing is you always have the pack, the sticks, the goal, the move, the move, and just continue to move, you know. Don't and then if I was going out to do the UTMB, I would skip the first aid station, I would put food in my bag, just a little bit, like uh, two bars, and I'd skip it and I would just move on. And the reason I would do that is because I just give myself time to get ahead a little bit because the the, the faster you kind of move on, the less packed those different huts are. You know, so as you go through the transitions, there's not as many people there. So sometimes there's no harm to get through the next first one or two because you're going to just waste so much time there anyway. And you kind of move on through those two. And then you'll see that your day is a lot better. Like, I mean, we found out a lot of races, like we, we got nailed on that in the PTL, but that's a different story. But like in the UTMB, you got to just kind of keep moving, keep moving. And get to Carmajor. Now the other lesson comes at Carmaiur, right? So everybody thinks it's halfway at 74k. The descent into Carmayor is lethal, right? Because it's just like woof, woof, down and you can fly. And if it's wet at all, you know, you're gonna be goosed because it's a bit like oh, I don't know, like what's what's that? You know, like in, what's the descent in um you know in the sorry, the race that happens in October, the sky run, right? You know the sky run. You know that descent where
1: the Garmin skyline. you just can't sit. The Garmin
0: Skyline, yeah. 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 Do you know that descent where you can't stay standing? (laughs) Do you know the one where the guys, there's a marsh at the top to warn you and laugh at you if you're wearing speed cross because there's no way you're going to stay standing going down that hill? Like, it can be as slippy as that, like going down into Kuromayur and it's full of like really small, sharp switchbacks. So, it's very important that you take it easy going down into Kuromayur, that you get into Kuromayur relaxed and that you spend, I would say, like, depending on what your target is, right? There's no, there's nothing wrong with spending half an hour on Kermaria because it's 71k, it's good to change. It's good you get it. You have a drop bag there, so you can change all your clothes. You should change everything. You can have a spare pair of runners there. You should change everything because it's not quite halfway. It's under halfway. I don't think halfway. Col de is really halfway, but the 120k, that's when you really know you're going to finish the race. I think Kermaria is what it's 71k in, and you're kind of um, going. There was
1: se- to 17.5% of people DNF'd there last year. I'm surprised right. I know that stat, but <laughs> hopefully it's right. But, it's it. but but it just goes to show, but you need to meet. I've done a few podcasts um, on these long endurance races. Like um, one thing, you need to prepare yourself for what's going to happen at that point. Because it's such an easy point to pull out. You know, you have to go deep. You, you know, you're going into that pain cave and you're going to come in and out of that. You might come into that place feeling like shit. And it's a bit like the backyard. You know, you've got an option at that point to pull out. You have to. You just have to, as you say, like the change of clothes or taking time at that. Don't make any decisions. Get yourself freshed up as much as possible and then go out and you would be surprised what can happen. Like
0: I would say to you, um, like look at your times, right? So if you're going for, let's say, okay, if you're trying to get it done, like what's what's the, the quickest Irish time is probably 24 and a half, 25 hours, right? That's somebody pumping on through. Like if you're heading for the 30, 35, I would say half an hour. If you're heading for the 40, there's nothing wrong with spending 45 minutes to an hour there because it's not like, what it's about is getting to the end. Like everybody that has kind of taken their time through this race has overtaken so many broken people in the last third of this race. It's incredible. And if you take your time, within that section and you give yourself the time to sit, like you're, you know, you are rebooting. You need to reboot and go when you are, unless you're like, you know, banging it out of the park and just having a great day. But the that's the problem is people come down there into Kormor They've shot their legs because that descent's quite hard going. They get in there, they sit down, they think they're walloped and, you know, they, they, yeah, they make the decision. Like, I mean, it's, it's grand for us, I think, mm. because, Irish people have no support and we seem to love pain. So we continue to move on. But the Italians and the French have their their grannies and their wives and they all these people there that are kind of with them. And it must be so hard like, to kind of look at your family and walk on. Do you know what I mean? Like kind of they'll see you in pain and you've got that opportunity to... Do I get a lift home now? <laughs> or, or do I run on? Of course you've got to take There the is
1: something home. about that, though. And we talked about that in a previous podcast as well. Do they, like... <clears throat> I don't know. I'd be careful how I put this, like, but like when you talk about the Italians and the French, like they do, they do seem to DNF quicker for some reason. Is it maybe it's because of one th- um, theory I suppose is the amount of money that we've spent and investment, you know, to get there but those guys might best be down the road. You know what I mean? It might be just another race for them. I'm not sure. Um, But like when you have around a 38, 39% dropout, like I only done CCC, which was 101K. And we'll get to that in a minute. Like, but those last three climbs, which are the same last three climbs UTMB, there wasn't a place you could have sat down at the side of the trail. Like they they all looked like elite athletes. There was bodies absolutely everywhere. Everywhere. Like, do you know what I mean? Here's me like mid forties coming up. Like, I was, I was hurting, like, big time. I'm feeling sorry for myself. Oh. But I wasn't stopping. I was still moving forward slowly but surely. But these guys were in tears.
0: You're right. We spend the money to get there. It's about finishing. I think maybe we probably look at the race smarter. Um, we don't have too many of those races. I mean, UTMB is huge. So, I mean, if you if you got... Like, I had a nightmare last year in a TDS, and I'll talk about it in a second. But, like, there was no way I was going home. Um, but I'll, I'll chat about that. But you're right. Like, I mean, like, the... Like the Tete avant I remember that is the Tete vent is either the second last or the third last climb. And like, I remember like just before it, texting Ian, going, uh, "Tell me you're not finished." <laughs> He's like, "I'm finished. Where are you?" It's like, "Oh, I'm just about to climb Tete avant He's like, "Oh my God, it's fucking horrendous." <laughs> it's like, "It's just what you want to hear." And then, and then of course I climbed it. So yeah, then I kinda I look at I kinda go, Oh my god, it's the worst ever. And then of course because he told me it's the worst climb ever, I was expecting it to be the worst climb ever. And it was actually okay. And then I was up. But like if you kick back through if you kick back through um the UTMB, like the thing that I was looking forward to the most was, you know, getting up the Grand Call the ferret. Like and I purposely had moved my race to be there like at half eleven so that the sun would be shining. We'd get up on top and, you know, you'd have the probably one of the best views on the planet. And, you know, for me, that was just an amazing moment and just getting up there and climbing there. Because at that part of the UTMB, one, you're at the highest point, you know, because you've done that, that climb up there. And two, you're going to finish this race. And three, you've got an awesome descent down off the Col de Ferret that just goes. Oh, so. I remember
1: standing up there and about 20 people overtook me. But I, w- I was just amazed by the scenery. And I had my two arms out and I was like, but look, like we have just, we've climbed all that way. Just stop and look at this. And it just, I couldn't understand why people, I was obviously a first time numpty on course, like but I was just enjoying the experience, you know, and it, Absolutely. It, the gravity hey. of how big and enormous it is, like in the sight and the glaciers that were just cutting down through the mountain, you're like, this is unreal. Like there's nothing like this. Like
0: no. I mean, you've got, you have to stand and stare. I'm glad we're agreeing on that. I mean, because that, that's, you feel sorry for you. Like, I know the first time I was up there, I was just like blown away. Um, I've been there a couple of times since, but I was just like, this is just, this is what it's all about. This is amazing. I love the mountains. I love this race. This is awesome. And of course, I'm coming back every bloody year since. No wonder. But I like, I remember the feeling. I remember I took a picture and, like in my phone and in, obviously in 2013 the phones weren't great I remember I lost the pictures <laughs> about four days later and I was just like no but it'll mean you know
1: but the food everybody, everybody, you, you, you touched about going into the fuel stations there like the fuel stations there's plenty of them on course you know there's no I found I'd, I had all this food with me that I trained with and I didn't really need to carry much food with me on course so that's one key tip Um, When you go into the fuel stations, there's so much like bread, cheese, noodle soup, which is famous on course, plenty of salt on it. Um, But you do have to be careful in there. Like I I found myself being very greedy. I thought, well, I can eat, so I'll try and eat as much as I can. And I was almost blowing smoke out when I came out for about 15 minutes. Um, Coke was that best friend of mine that turned into my worst enemy. You know, it ended up my stomach just, I had too much. Even though you got a great kick to begin with. But you do need to be have a mental plan going in there and what's gonna happen before you get in. So you can be as efficient and effective as possible in and out.
0: Like people need to understand that when you do a thirty-five hour race, right, your body doesn't want to eat for thirty-five hours. That's the first mistake that a lot of people make. And so and from again, probably from more adventure racing, that we understand that the body needs to have sweet, salt, sour as mixed as possible. So I think one of the things, one of the tips I would give people though is to always have, you know, those tubes of electrolytes in their, in their own self. And when you get in and get the water, use those electrolytes that you're used to. Don't, don't drink Coke early. You know, Coke is for that ski lift, that last 10 K that's where Coke lives. That's where coffee lives. Nowhere else through the race, unless that you're going to have that slump after that 21 hour slump because if you start drinking Coke or caffeine during the race, it's going to lose its effect by the time you get to the 21 or the 23 hours, right? And, like, that's when you're going to need it most. So, like, for me, when I race, I try and keep to the body's natural cycle. So I try and eat the whole time until about 9 o'clock at night, and then I only go on fluids probably from 9 till about 5 a.m., and then what I'll do is I'll kick back into whatever food I can eat then for 5 o'clock and, again, go through that. Because you have a digestive cycle and you've got a, a sleep cycle, and you've got to fight the sleep cycle, but you can't fight the sleep cycle with a digestive cycle because it makes your stomach just go 90. And what people do because of that is they go for the safety blankets, just like people when they're trying to go to sleep. is They'll go for the Coke, they'll go for the sweets, they'll go for the thing that's just going to kickstart the brain, but not the body. So therefore, the stomach isn't getting the stuff that it needs because you're so busy kicking your brain. And then what happens is your stomach gets into a knot. You feel like shit, you spend the whole time going to the bathroom or wondering why you feel like crap because what you've done is you've woken up your brain to think about your sick stomach, to think about your crampy legs, and you just mess the whole thing up. So it takes a long time to get out of that. So, like, it's just, it, you just have to have a habit. Like, I remember at the UTMB, I had purposely bought different sachets of stuff that I had taken. And I just remembered always having one water bottle on the right, one sachet bottle, but changing it always on the left and just kick into that, keep into that, keep it. And it worked, you know, like those high five carbohydrates, those three to ones, the stuff that you're always taking, just keep at it. Like, cause I think what happens is you go into the UTMB and it's like a candy shop and you walk into these places. Like I got into the habit of deciding before I got to the transition, what I was going to have, which being honest was always noodle soup and tucks. because what I didn't realize is that I was just craving salt. So that's that if you drink that noodle soup yeah. on a normal it's disgusting <laughs> but when you're when you're in a race it's like <laughs> and it's easy to get in and tucks and like you're then you're looking at like like the big the big one for me is like you look at the the meat and you're picking the meat it looks lovely and then you go to eat it and you can't be arsed because it's so much effort to eat it so you're chucking the away so you know you but I, I felt that as I went through the race that wasn't a problem in the last two or three controls you just went in you knew what you wanted you got it moved on you got a couple of oranges got some soup and away you went, you yeah. know? So I think that's, I, I think that's very important, especially when you're trying to overcome something like sleep deprivation. Like it's, it's, it's a tough thing, you know?
1: Cause you can have all the training in your legs and yeah. you can still get it totally wrong on the day. Like I, I was actually having the race of my life when I done CCC, like I'd never felt as strong because I live in the moans, you know? So I was going up and downs mountains, awesome. constantly, like, you know, doing runs of 10,000 feet and was loving life. Like, and then going through the race, When I was hitting these climbs, I was sitting thinking... Because I was at the back as well, it was quite bottlenecked. So I wasn't really feeling it. I was thinking, Jesus, this isn't the Morns. This is great. And champagne lak then, the food. When I was going into the fuel stations, I was conscious I was taking too much Coke. um, Because I was coming out and I was feeling wheezy for about five minutes. But it would blow out and I'd be great. And away I went again. And I kept on saying to myself, stop eating so much at the fuel stations. But when I got in... You know, in my head, I was like, right, I'm only going to take this and this, but I would just like, in about three minutes, I've made a mistake. I've eaten too much again and away I went. And I described, I remember when I'd done the Courtney podcast, I described to her, you know, I came into Champaign-Lac, I thought I was going to win the race. I couldn't wait (laughs) for the last three climbs. And everyone told me to eat at Champagne lac come out really, really fresh, but I felt like I didn't even want to stop. Um, but I stopped and I ate plenty of food and I came out a bit like a walrus. <laughs> it <laughs> really was that. Like, it was just like coming along the water. And I was like, my stomach had just, you would have thought I was pregnant it had come out that much. Like, And, you know, that made it a real tough second half of the race. Like, you know, when your fuel goes, like, I couldn't eat or drink anything at all. And your energy starts, you start feeling really sorry for yourself, you know, until you can pick it back up again. Like. Um, So it is very important, your fuel, because when you're, it's very difficult because when you're at home racing, you know, I did wear my race kit, I did wear my race bag in all the races, like, and people were looking at me using poles on small races, but I was just letting my ego go and going, no, this is, I'm training for CCC, I'm sticking to my poles, and which was key, but one thing I wasn't training for was going past up 13, 14 hours of fueling. So I got to that stage, and then it went Pete Tong after that. And it's hard to do that. And I I think the point system is a very responsible thing. You know, if you have to do five-point races to get into a race like that, you know, usually a five-point race is taking you around 20 hours or taking you into that sort of time, Mm -hmm. sort of zone, that you can actually trial those and learn a bit more about all the things that you need to learn. Because it's only experience gets you through races like this, isn't it? You can't just roll up to these races and...
0: I think also the preparation makes you feel that you've done the preparation so it's going to plan or it's going to come back or because as you said there everybody has lows and races and the important thing is to hang in there until you can come back out and experience that it's just it is just a low or you know find something to occupy your brain or find something positive to think about or a funny experience or learn how to laugh at it i know it sounds easy but it's it's a tough thing to do the other point i would say to do is um is your feet right so i think in the utmb or the ccc is that that socks thing (laughs) so i think the uh, lesson that a lot of people have is especially on the final descent in utmb as you know from the ccc is the 10k at the end you know that switchback the where they bring you out past um Chamonix especially if it's night and you think Chamonix is just there but they bring you like 5k straight out past Chamonix make you run the whole way back in again which is torture in itself it's definitely from Guantanamo Bay or something but uh, I honestly think it's even though people had warned me I still think it was the worst 10k of my life I still think it is like I'd actually prefer to do the TDS and the PTL just because I wouldn't have to run that 10k because it's just horrendous and the thing is when you're doing it in the UTMB it's like you feel sorry for people when you're overtaking them because They've all been on the same journey as you, but they probably haven't looked after their feet. So they've got so many blisters and they're trying not to pop their hips and they're they're just hobbling down off this hill. And it's so far. <laughs> like the 10K, to be in pain is bad and you get into the pain cave and it's bad. But this is relentless. And it's relentless because you think you're going to be there and then there's a switchback going the other way. And then you're like going, I'm going away from Chamonix again. And then you go back towards Chamonix. And then you go away again, and then you actually go past Chamonix by about 3 or 4k, and then you drop down. And then, of course, you get to do the you know the 3k into Chamonix um, when arriving in there at 4 o'clock in the morning and everybody's asleep. And after all your effort, there's nobody there, so you got to wake up the guy to take a picture of you. But it's all good.
1: <laughs> Is that what time you finished then, 4 o'clock?
0: Yeah. <laughs> it was like after 4 o'clock in the
1: morning. So you, just like- you'll need to time that a little bit better. You need to be quicker or slower. Um, what was your lowest point in that race?
0: Um, do you know I think to start, right? To be honest, when I blew up after running too fast, I I sat down and I had to have a word with myself and I just I just had went too fast and but then when I got into like I picked it back up and you know like you said you kind of move to the next obstacle. Um I got to Cormayor I was way under my target. I was 14 hours or something in there and I just couldn't believe it. And I was in there so fast. I kind of said, okay, I've gone too fast. So I made the effort, the conscious effort just to stay there for half an hour and eat pasta twice and change all my clothes and just kind of chill out and, so I ended up having a good race <laughs> for the UTMB. For me, I just had a good day, even though I finished. Like, um, and why it was good is because even I was still able to run until the end. Like, I was still able to run the descent. I was still able to run yeah. the last 3K. I just had a good day, you know, and I was just lucky. Like last year, I had a nightmare in the TDS, and you know, it was a very different experience. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to that so, in a
1: minute. What was, so yeah. what was the next race that you did after UTMB then?
0: So you went from UTMB to PTL.
1: So you, you really jumped in there, didn't you? Like, like, <laughs> like on the Sunday, Sunday after I went out to watch all the UTMB finishers coming in on the Sunday um, the day after CCC had finished. Like, and you're, you know, it's one of the, emo- the emotional, it's so emotional, like sitting at that finish, watching people trying to get under the 46 hours, Uh-oh. like, you know, the 42 hours and 43 hours and you know what they've been through. Like you've done your race. It's a day day later, and these guys are still going. Like, and you can see it in them. Like, the souls are ripped out. And then you get these three people coming together, hanging together. Like, <clears throat> you're lucky if they're not crying. Um, I know it's
0: brilliant.
1: And it's just like it's so. And a huge
0: entourage coming with them, and everybody's giving it. Like, I mean, Kilian Jarnet might as well be coming across that finish line when it's the last three people. Everybody's just it's what well, quarter past four in the afternoon everybody's out, the sun is shining, everybody's just screaming at them. I mean, it's just a superb finish. And, the, you know, Owen Flynn, the Irish commentator, roaring them in. Uh, it's just brilliant. It's it's super. Like, I mean, it's great. That's the one nice thing about when you finish early is that you can sit there on the square then and watch everybody come in. Like, you get up for breakfast and you just sit there for hours just watching everybody come in and finish the race. It's just superb, isn't it? Yeah,
1: every, everybody getting roared in. You know, I think I've seen three people get proposed to. Um, <laughs> i'm not even joking like i thought uh, uh they're gonna regret that from the runner's high <laughs>
0: it's like... i haven't but, seen that though. No, but, but yeah, ptl
1: ptl now it's can you pronounce it because i'm gonna get killed if i pronounce it wrong
0: uh, Petit Chou-Louin. it comes from the bakers doesn't it so the bakers used to do small trots to deliver bread and um, it had some story um, in relation to that from from the area. Um but I, I know I, I dived in but see in between like we had done like I, I, I've done a lot of um, adventure racing kind of in the background, right? So so we had went from twenty thirteen to uh, Costa Rica twenty fourteen to the World Championships to Ecuador in twenty fifteen to we do the Beast of Ballet Hoore every year. You know, we did the twenty fifteen European Championships we were third and that so so like that's how I know Ian so well from we do a lot of adve- well did a lot of adventure racing together. Um, so, it, I know it sounds like going from UTMB yeah. to PTL, but it's like going from UTMB to Costa Rica to Ecuador to like every year, there's kind of a big race. And normally we do kind of the, the Beast of Hora 36 hour adventure race as a warm up for the UTMB at the end of August or depending on, on the way it flies. So, I think PTL is, is a lot more suited to an adventure racer than it is a runner because it's 330K. And it's, like, it's gnarly as fuck. Like, I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty... 25, 000 it's 25,000
1: meters of vertical ascent, like, and you're using ropes and, like... The thing yeah. that, I, that amazed me is when the, the group of three ran past, I'm like, and they freaking got helmets. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. group yeah, helmets. helmets, and you're like, holy shit. Like, you can just see. It's funny, like, because when I... Was first marathon running, and we're on courses with ultra runners, like the Monway Ultra, for example. You know, I did the Monway Marathon, and you seen the ultra runners, and you had so much respect for them. You're like, "Wow, there's an ultra runner." And now this, the PTL is almost that in the ultra world. You know, these people done UTMB or CCC, whatever. And oh, there's a PTL guy, and you're like, "Wow, that is unbelievable!" Like, them guys started Monday. This is Sunday. (laughs) Like.
0: One of my best memories of after the race, and I know we haven't even got to the race yet, right? So we had our uh, gilets, uh, our PTL, and so there was me and Tor and Ian Keith, and we're walking down the road past this bar, and this guy says, PTL, and Ian is standing there, and the 10 guys that are around the bar all stand up and just started applauding us for no reason, only that we had done the PTL. And I'm kind of standing there, and Ian turns around and go enjoy your moment. And I kind of like standing next to, you know, Ian is a legend, like, and you're kind of going, I'm so used to people clapping for him. <laughs> so, so it was quite funny that Ian had, you know, had done his um, podium on the, on the UTMB. And here we were getting the clap for just finishing the PTL. So it just kind of, it's a different world. Like it's, um it's a community within a community. It's, it, it's an incredible race. it's
1: so how how do you would, get entry into the PTL then? Because it's a team of three, isn't it? They allow about a hundred teams yeah. in. I think there was one hundred and seventeen teams last year. Um, there's about yeah. a twenty four percent DNF rate. Um, and the reason for it being one of the lower DNF rates, still a high DNF rate. You know, there's still I think twenty six teams didn't make it last year. Um, but it's because you have to have a really good CV going into that race.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's um. So that's how you apply. So you you sign up and you get a, a quite a lengthy PDF. So it's it's a it's an application form. So you have to give your uh, your running experience, your mountain experience, your uh, skiing experience, your kind of write a little bit on your your love for the mountains and why you want to do the race. And you've got to sign up for all these. Um, you got to kind of. You know, you've got to really respect the the foot, the, the ground and the, the faunage, and you know, I mean, and then sign up that your insurance. Uh, you have to have, you have to say that you pay for a helicopter if you get pulled off the mountain. You've got to, you know, sign a an honor system that you obey the rules, and and just basically, I suppose, just demonstrate that you love the mountains, being honest. And so you're happy to hang out with them for five or six days. I mean, that's really what a boils down to but of course there is a number of races that we had done previously and but definitely the adventure races help like you know um having done a couple of world championships and having done world championships with the guy on my team also you know I think that became of a, a bit of a of an easier but like it's incredible so you you submit that and you get accepted and it's not like you know it, it's I suppose it's a little bit different than the lottery because it doesn't hundred percent fill up only last year was the first time I hit hundred percent. So you kind of feel you've got a better chance of getting in. And then when you get the email back, actually, we got ours back and we made a mess of the bloody forum, typical. Um, but we got it sorted. And then it's a bit like, like it's nothing getting accepted, I'm sure, for the Barclay. But when you get accepted, it becomes very real. And, you know, it's quite a challenge. And the challenge is, you know, you don't really know the route. You know it's going to be GPS and you know it's going to be hard. And I guess... We kind of drifted into it, and I drifted into it, kind of going, well, I've done multi-day racing, so I'm not that bothered. I can race for ten days, I can race for six days, you know, it's just going to be an adventure rather than a hard race. And I think there is a bit of that to it. I mean, I think, you know, they do kind of say it's about the the runner, equipment, the community. Everybody's not really tracking it as a race, is what they say. But like, absolutely, I mean, you want to finish. I mean you're watching that ranking you know, the whole time. But I have to say one of the one of the things that I loved the most about it, right? Was registration. So when you go to UTMB, I feel like that you're being treated like a ten year old. And I guess we should hire just the people. When you go to UTMB, there's a chick there's a, a kit list and there's a mandatory kit list and you have to have your mandatory kit list and there is no shortcuts and there's no point trying to take shortcuts because you get checked out under the course and it's not worth it. It just bring your kit put it in your bag train with it that's what everybody else does yeah, don't they, have they do
1: spot checks don't they like they can stop yeah, you yeah, and say show yeah. me this show me this and if you haven't got yeah. it you're off course
0: like no mess exactly. so you know the way like they when you do register there's a big long queue and you've got to go through to everybody and they they go through your coat and your lights and you've got to show them seven items of your mandatory kit right so when you rock into, now, when we did the Costa Rica World Champs, you had to show kayak certs, you know, ropes, yada, 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 all that kind of stuff to before they let you out into the wild. When you go to register for the PTL, there's a slip of paper, <laughs> and it says, sign here to say you have everything. Okay, thank you very much. Bye now. There's a meeting at 7 o'clock. <laughs> and it's, it, that's it, right? And then you go to the meeting at 7 o'clock, and they just basically do a briefing that kind of sounds a bit like this. We're gonna start here, and we see you in five days. And bon chance, good luck. Okay, <laughs> and that's it. So there's no there's no build up, there's no hype. It's just like here's our here's our route. Respect it. It's gonna be a fantastic race. We wish you all a fantastic adventure. And you know you get your tracker and, and you get your GPS. Well, you kind of get your um your GPS about ten days before to download into your devices and then you get get your maps, and you basically – it's a little bit different. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's not a half four or half three in the morning like you've got for uh, the the, the PTL or the TDS, sorry, and um, nobody's (laughs) – it's a total opposite to UTMB. When the music plays, it's the same music, but (laughs) nobody's firing off, right? (laughs) Like in the UTMB, everybody goes off down to the right, and it's downhill, and it's – for the PTL, everybody goes left, and it's nearly like they do it on purpose, you know. For the UTMB and all those races, it's that way. But for the PTL, it's that way, <laughs> and you kind of go off, and everybody just kind of more or less shimmies off up the road, and before you know it, you're out there on the race, like, and it's just, it's just bananas. So I guess the difference, the huge difference—I mean, there's loads of differences—but let's talk about the food first, right? <laughs> so, so firstly, you're going to be out for five or six days, but one of the biggest shocks to us is you're just given six vouchers, and the six vouchers are. That you will get six meals on the huts, right? But having done the UTMB, of course, I thought it's it's a UTMB race. There's going to be a party at every hut. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, no, there wasn't. (laughs) So there's no party. There's, I mean, there's huts. Um, you know, they're the huts that the helicopters take the trash off. Like they're. The only way up to them is either sometimes they have mules or it's like in this case, there's a helicopter, does the trash. So you're kind of going, so they, they they take you off Chamonix and you do the route. But like what they do is they everywhere that you've been on the UTMB or the CCC or the, the TDS, you're not going to go there. <laughs> so every time you think that you see part of the course for the UTMB, you start to get excited thinking you're going to go on. It's a bit like the Bob Graham round in that case. It's like where, you know, you kind of come on, you think you're going to naturally go over the other side and go on, but you don't, you end up going that way. And you're kind of going, so in the in the PTL, there's nothing normal. Like there's no tracks, there's no routes, it's all boulders, right? So what they do is they give you these maps and the GPS, right? So the GPS is to kind of find your direction. But the maps are great because it's a bit like that skiing mentality. Do you know where you've got like kind of green slopes and black black slopes and red slopes? So it's the same on the map. You can see that the GPS track is going to be a black or a green or a yellow. So at the start, you kind of go, oh, that's cool, we're going to go on a black one now. And then you realize that the black one is really, really technical, like really, really technical, which can be anything from, as you said there, it can be the section where you have to wear the helmets and the harness and just strap on. Like we climbed this mountain we climbed it felt like we climbed well actually the race let me, let me sorry let me let me go back a bit so the race does kind of pick up a bit of a pace because you're kind of on these trails and actually there's a bit of a boot up to uh, the ski lift like i remember we were we were racing against walter who we had raced in the spine challenger he'd won the spine challenger last year and we kind of got into a little bit of a race with him because tour would know him, i would know him and we kind of we started racing probably a bit too early but the altitude got kicked in so so quick like i just slowed down naturally i was like guys my breathing <laughs> so, <laughs> you know because we had just we had hit pace so fast in the first climb that you know the altitude just kind of kicked in straight away and we saw them kind of go up and come around and of course you know yourself when you go up in the altitude and then of course you turn and you kick down it all drops off So that was kind of the start to the race. And I was going, Jesus Christ, it took me ages to kind of come down out of that and sort myself out. But, like, we thought then, of course, that because we'd seen a ski lift as the first control that they were all going to be. like. But that was the only ski lift we saw for the next five days. So we were totally fooled into this is the start of the race, get to the ski lift, now you're going to go down. But then you're just going into wilderness. So then it's basically... Five days of following, <laughs> five days <laughs> of, of, of following the black, red, and yellow, and you know meeting these. You know where these six kind of huts are, right? So, so you know you're kind of out there, and we're used to being out there. And then, like this race is up so high, you're crossing glaciers, you're crossing like you know all those high up glaciers that are in the back of um the the Mont Blanc. So we kind of we come up higher on the Mont Blanc massif to cross over these glaciers. So we're not just wearing helmets, we have crampons for certain sections, right? And like, we were going down these sections, and next thing we'd get a message to say, your approach to control something something, please put on your crampons. (laughs) And when you're in a race, right, and you're kind of walking going, oh, for God's sake, I'm not stopping to put on, you know, I've been racing for two days going, I'm not putting on my crampons, it doesn't look that bad. (laughs) Next thing, you do like 20 feet down, there's snow, but that deep. And you're on your ass and you're just like going. So the change in terrain is bananas. You're going from snow to ice to crampons to. And then you climb up to the top of this mountain and you're kind of going, this is really steep. The descent off the side of this is going to be fucking nuts. And next thing, you'll just look out and there'll be like a rope out the side of the mountain. And it's just going straight down. And you're going, oh, that's the way down. Oh, okay. So, so you go down the mountain, right? And I have to tell you about, like, I have a couple of experiences I have on the PTL that are quite amazing. But so the the the, the first one, right, is that w- once you go down off the ski lift into the wilderness, we all start to climb up through these craters, right? This is mental. This is a true story. So we're kind of we're along, and we can see the the race has kind of gone up in front of us. And next thing. As the guys get to the top right a boulder gets moved right and the boulder comes down off say about i'd say about 1200 meters is what we can see but the boulder comes down and goes bang hits the ground goes right back up into the air and all you can just see is this thing flying right and the three of us are together and you're just wondering where the boulder goes and next thing it goes bang again straight back up into the air, but there's utter silence, right? You've got 300 teams on a mountain in silence, and next thing about 30 seconds later, you can no longer hear the bang of the boulder, and all you hear is this, "Ah." because nobody's got fucking killed on the mountain. And you're like going, oh my God, that boulder could have been it for either of us and it's just nuts like but it's just something that will never leave me because you're kind of on the mountain and you've heard all these stories you know of people over the years and next thing you're there in the situation and like it's a huge boulder just bouncing and you know and I know like we talked with this after like that my two guys were in front of me and they were afraid to turn around because they were terrified that the boulder was after landing on top of me and I was terrified to look at the people behind me because I thought the boulder was after landing on top of them but we heard no scream you know and it was because you heard no scream there was a silence that the big cheer went up so it's very wild and it's very out there and you know that's i think that was very much a sign of everybody just hoping that nobody else was going to get hurt and then they didn't it was big relief for everybody and there was a mad cheer and on we went but like another part of it was like they warn you kind of one of the things i do tell you is you know if you're if you're trying to do the race do the climbing section on the wednesday so that on the wednesday you kind of have the energy and you have the strength and you're kind of, you know, because when you're doing the climbing sections, if you're a bit tired, it's not, it can kind of slow you down, being honest, big time. And if we are going back there again, I would definitely push on, get the climbing done. But the climbing is kind of, climbing is a bit intimidating at the start, but then, Mm -hmm. you know, you get into it and then you really get to, like you lose all that kind of fear because you could kind of understand how hard it's going to get. Like, you know, when you do these races and you kind of, get into the groove of the race, you kind of, when you do the climb, you kind of go, okay, it's going to be this technical and that's as technical as they mean and you know, you, you don't need to really strap on everything, you can kind of, you know, wear your landlords, do a little bit of moving and, and not too worry about it and you, you start to relax the whole body and you start to get to move on and then I, at, once we had the climbing section done by the Wednesday, we kind of relaxed a little bit and got a bit happier <laughs> and that was after two nights of only one hour, one and a half hour sleep and we kind of drove on and we were racing for the hut um, and we kind of said we, the way we had kind of planned the race was an hour and a half, an hour and a half, get the climbing done, and then we go for a big sleep, we get a four-hour kip, and then we move on and see how we get on through the end of the race. And that was kind of our strategy. But the, we had done a weather check, and the guys had told us, "Oh no, it's okay, it's going to miss that peak." And uh, then we came in and we got caught in a massive thunderstorm. Uh, we thunder lightning, and then we had these kind of tennis balls full of. Um, nice hailstones that were just bouncing off. us, and like We were in shorts and from Adventure Race and we don't really wear loads of layers. We just throw on the old, you know, these uh, ponchos. <laughs> I've got a picture of a poncho with a, with a snowball just went straight through the poncho. Like, I mean, as in, I held it, I just went poof, straight through because that's how hard they were. It just went straight nice. through the plastic. And like up on those glaciers, they just have like these little sticks that you kind of cross these gorges. And the problem for us is that like we're used to the Irish mountains, that if it rains, that the water kind of soaks into the mountains because it hasn't been raining for a while, or if it has, but we're not used to is water on glaciers, and that the glaciers don't hold the water at all, and the rivers and the gullies just start to fill, and it's like a mountain full of water, and there's like waterfalls everywhere in no time, man. And it was, I tell you, it was fucking scary up there because the water's coming so fast, and you can't see because the you know the the rain is going down so heavy. So you're getting a little bit tense at one another, and you're trying to move across. And we were trying to move across at speed because we knew, you know, another eight kilometres, and we were going to be at the hut. It was actually ended up being an hour and a half to the hut. But so anyway, as we were moving across, the 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 gullies were starting to get flooded, and we're kind of walking, and you're we're making decisions whether because the water's coming up so high, whether we'll kind of stick across the gullies or if we'll try and take jumps right and and you have a, tr- a team of three and now we know where there's a team of three so we're watching a french team ahead of us and like myself and tour were kind of together and zora and the other our third person of our team was kind of slightly ahead and next thing we're following the french team and we can see the first guy jumps the gully and then the second guy jumps the gully and now we're up at 2700 meters and the girl goes to jump the gully and misses the other side and go straight down the gully through the water, through the waterfall, and we're trying. To, we're following the body, just bobbing down through the gully, and Jeez. we're going, she's gone, and next thing you just see, she gets stuck on a corner, and she's just there with her leg hopping like that, and my mate, Tour, is gone down that mountain, and I'm going, and he's looking at me, and I'm looking at Zoran, and we're kind of going, you need to go that way, he's going that way, he, he didn't care, he was going to pull her up, and in fairness, like, he flew down the mountain, basically, Pulled her out, kind of turned her over, and like she split like all down the side of her head. You know, her hips coming out through her trousers. Like I mean, the the girls like in, in bits. And he's like, I can see him. He's taking off his clothes. So I go down and say, you know, what what's he doing? You can see. And then another team kind of coming behind us. And there's um there's a Spanish team come in, and one of them is a doctor. So he takes out like you know the the bottles that you have. So he takes out his two bottles, right? pours out all the water, takes a flask out of his friends, he fills the the bottles with the hot water, puts them in underneath her kidneys, wrap it around, and then we see like the we can see one medic kind of coming on foot because somebody has hit the hit the tag. And then what I didn't understand and what I didn't learn is that is I never knew the whole thing about when the helicopter kind of comes in to pull somebody off that day, because the helicopter kind of came in and they, they dropped somebody down and he walked over and we were kind of going, why are they having moving? So I just saw, so Zoran kind of went back for the hut. Tour was going to stay there. I went after him then, but like they dropped the person down and what they did was they got everybody to, t- to throw away their sticks and tie down their bags. Cause the problem was the helicopter can't come into the mountain. Because if it does, the choppers will cause the sticks to go up and stab somebody in the head or something. So the first guy comes down, ties everybody down, ties all the bags around, and then eventually they lifted the lady and off she went. So myself and Zoran have made it back to the hut. It's lashing rain. We're kind of going, Do we stay up? Do we wait for tour? What do we do? Like, you know, because he's taken all the time to help with the rescue, we're just assuming the race is over and that we're gonna be out it's Wednesday night. We're done with the race and we're kind of standing there. And next thing in, in the door comes this absolutely soaking wet into a very small hut now that seats, seats you know, sleeps eight people. And then your man comes soaking. <laughs> and and um, it turns out that the, one of the guys that's been there the whole time while we're there is the teammate of the girl that's just been taken off in the helicopter. And he's just been sitting there stuffing his face the whole time, like, no. and even wondering where his, where his uh, teammate has gone. And what was really interesting was uh, Tour, to his credit, helped the girl with the Spanish team. And we got an email after the race to our team, because they didn't know it was was Tour more than myself and Zoran. And basically, you know, a letter to us to say, it's not not with the community of the race that we write, and thank you for this, because we would just expect it. But the lady asked us, you know, to write a note to say, thank you very much for rescuing the mountain. And I just thought it was lovely that they kind of went, Look, you know, the lady fell, and of course, you know, you're in this race because the expectation of you're in this race is that you would help anybody, which you would, right? But it was still, they felt, but we do want to write and still thank you. And it was just the nicest thing. Like, so eventually, like, tour came to us. Um, He slept for two hours, and then we went on, you know, and continued the race. And um, it's, you know, it's uh, (laughs) a he was so tired, and we were so wrecked, man. It was like so funny. It's the only race that I've ever been in that I'd been so tired and, like, I'd fallen down over the side of a hill. And I know my two teammates were delighted I'd fallen because it meant they could stop because they knew I would take, like, 10 minutes to get back up. And, like, my headlight had fallen off, right? And instead of, like, while I was coming climbing back up the hill to get my foot, the two of them you forgot your head torch. I was like, what? And then I had to climb down to 50 feet, get my head torch, put it on. But it would just show you how tired we were. Like so at one stage in the race, right, we were so tired, like we were there's this section where it's just boulders. I mean, it's like boulders that are, you know, three times your body size boulders that you have to climb over. And we were trying to find our way to the top of the hill. And we were really, really struggling. And I was like, look guys, let's just take a power nap for 15 minutes. It was dark and we were like, we couldn't find a path. We just couldn't find our way. I said, let's sleep for 15 minutes on these rocks, and when we wake up, we'll move on. So we slept for 15 minutes. We woke up and the path was like right there where we were asleep, yeah. And then we just like walked straight up the path up to the top of the mountain and down the other side. Like we were just a mess. And then, you know, just like it's like it's such it's such a hard 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 race. It's just relentless because like you kind of think that when you do like in the in the Tour de France, like for example, the the race kind of eases off a bit towards the end. Like, you know, you kind of say, okay, well, look, it's all going to be like this for the first couple of days. And then, of course, they're going to have a load of paths and then it's going to be grand and we'll go back. Not a hope. At one stage, like, we came off this peak and we'd kind of climbed across these metal chains on the side of a mountain. And there's actually a picture of me, steps, stopped on the side of the mountain. And you can't sit down because the path is like that and it's totally steep. So I'm just leaning against the wall. And that was your break. And then we came down. I was like, oh, my God, it's the Grand de Ferret. This is great. Because I could see the pillar and I knew there was a descent down the way that you go in the UTMB race. And I knew there was a descent down the other way. But no, we just like, instead of going north or south, we just went directly east, which was straight across the call, back up the next mountain and over onto the cliffside and then across the ridge and back down the other side. And you're just like on, oh, it was just, it's just, it's just nonstop. Like the, the nicest part like is that you don't have to do... <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm just gonna skip through the race, but I mean,
1: you don't have to it's do the basic, 10k at the finish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the best part of the race, right? Is but it's the same. Like you come down, and uh, and I was laughing because I done the UTMB, and when you come down on to the the race track, eventually, it's only about two kilometers from you know that zigzag of the last yeah. 10k of the UTMB. So it's the last two kilometers of that. So you come in the same way as the UTMB, and like it's so funny because there's the three of you and you've been out since Monday and you have these guys on the Sunday and we came in probably around, I'd say half 12. And we purposely did that. Right. So we were up on top of the mountain and I was like, they're going, lads, I'm not doing this. It's too early. And they're like, well, I was going I did the UTMB. I ride in at four o'clock. There's nobody there. Let's just sit down. we will have a Coke, enjoy the mountain. We'll do the descent in real time. And let's just enjoy this. You know what I mean? Because I said, we've been out for five days. Let's at least just enjoy the last 5K. So we did. We actually sat down at a Coke and um, nearly went off the mountain the wrong side, but we'll say nothing. And then eventually we came down it and we joined the UTMB race. And so all that stuff that you saw, you know, the the people that come in at half four. So we did that on purpose at about one o'clock, half one, because we still wanted to sit down and watch the last people come in for the UTMB. But the difference is we were able to have this conversation and make sense of it and understand the value of what we had done and enjoy it. But the cheers that we got coming in were just like incredible. Like, there was a lot of guys out there. There's like Paul Daly, um, Aaron Simmons. Like, there's a whole load of Irish guys that were out there cheering us in. And like, every time you kind of ran past somebody and they recognized that on your bib, you know, we've got the bib and as your number, and they'd see the PTL, they'd just go ballistic and they're just like, ah, I mean, we got to the finish line and the pain was real. (laughs) We just like, we basically just got to the finish line, keeled over, got a small can of Heineken, tried to talk. It was just, it's the first time in my life that I finished the race, went out that evening with Ian actually on tour to a restaurant and ordered steak and red wine and fell asleep, couldn't even eat the steak, couldn't drink the wine and it takes a lot for me not to drink the wine and I remember like I slept in the restaurant for about an hour <laughs> and these other Irish guys came in, Paul Amaricu, and I was like, oh, how's it going? So oh, we're going for a pint. So I went for a pint with them and I got like about that much of my pint, took a up and apparently fell asleep again. So ah, we just gave it socks. It's just a tough race, but I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. It's just a, it's just an incredible absolutely. race. It's really like, cool.
1: I was traveling home again on the Sunday and so I got to see around 42 hours, UTMB, so whatever that works out. And we're watching everybody coming in And I was like, oh, let's just wait for one more PTL, one more PTL before we went back to the hotel, you know? Because you could, like, it was so empowering, like, you know, to see them. And every time you've seen them come, like, and like half of them were in tears because of the gravity of what had just happened and they actually made it. And you could tell they had been through the depths of despair, like, together. You can see the camaraderie between the three of them, like, does a race like that then pull the three of you together, like, going through that?
0: Yeah, I mean, we were... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mates for life, you know. So, like, that's that's a given. But I think that's kind of an important part of even when you go to race. I think you need to be very careful who you pick to race with because it's very easy for stuff to go wrong. It's very easy for people to lose temper. Like, I mean, like, PTL is a, it's a mountain race, you know. It's like you need to like the mountains. You need to like the pain. You need to... You know, you need to enjoy that kind of stuff and you really need to kind of embrace it and understand that it's going to be there for a while. Like I, I would like to understand how many people go back and do it a second time. I think it'd be kind of interesting. Um but it's really interesting the amount of people that just go out there and and just take the race totally for granted and just get wiped out in a very short period. I mean, it's not a marathon, you know, it's not an ultra, it's a it's a mountain. A mountain ultra and it's, um, it's for mountain people, you
1: know? So that leaves two more races, CCC, did you do CCC?
0: Well, I did it in the UTMB.
1: <laughs> I was wondering, <laughs> so I was searching I was like, he hasn't done CCC. Like, no. um, no. so CCC is, been. CCC is part of the UTMP course. Just to yeah. add a little bit around that, it's 101K. I mean, he's six points in two races. Um, to get entry into it, it's 169 euros but again it was like there was 2,132 people started it last year i'm laughing because on the top of the first climb i was like 2,100th <laughs> <So laughs> you really good man i was like and there's a bit of a story behind that which i'll I'll give an, you in a minute like but it was 1,578 finish so there was 26 dnf so still a difficult race Um, yeah. some of the schoolboy errors i made being a first timer Um, The first one was the doctor's note. So I didn't know I had to leave a doctor's note in. And then it took me four weeks to get a doctor's appointment because it wasn't a priority. So I only just got my doctor's notes in. So that was um, the the medical search. So that was one lesson. Get it in early. Don't let that one ponder. The second one was booking of the bus. So it came up like a book on the bus. I went in and went, well, I don't know what time I'm going to leave. Do you know what I mean? This, This is ages to go. So when I went to bucket Bobby. there was there was only one bus. There was only one bus to book, and it was the very first bus going that morning. Um, right. So I missed out on that. So if you've got an option to book a bus, you really need to see where you're staying and determine what time you want to arrive. Because I had an hour and a half at the start line, which I could have done without. That could have been an hour yeah. and a half extra sleep. Um, I was. It was really good learning for people that are listening. I suppose like um, yeah, yeah, there was, this information wasn't out there, you know. So. Um, <laughs> I had to go to the toilet just before the start of the race and oh my god I queued up so what that meant was it was bad enough because of my intra points that I was in the third wave of CCC but I was right back on the back line and I didn't really mind because in my head I thought right I'm gonna overtake people I'm just here to enjoy this like I'm gonna race it this is what I've been working towards um but what happened being at the very very back you know we we took off down through the town at Cormier, and I hit the first climb, and it was bottleneck. And it was a 15-minute yeah. wait, literally just standing there, oh, just, just to get on the climb. And, you know, you exerted energy to get to that point, and you thought, geez, yeah. I could have actually walked here and still been at the same place. Yeah. And then even the climb itself, there was bottlenecks going up the climb. The whole way, yeah. The whole the way up, and it was like, this is... There was no effort or not. It was no race. And if you are looking to get a good time, you have to be wary of those things. Even if you're in the third wave, get to the front of yeah. the third wave, wait for that gap, and then try and get to those Get down that road
0: and up you go. Absolutely.
1: Um, the altitude, a, a lot of people do struggle with the altitude. I wasn't too bad. Like I got to the top. I knew it had happened. It was the first time I'd experienced altitude. <laughs> My chest started thumping. And I was it's like, hard, Whoa. Eh? That's obviously altitude, and you really slow down. But everybody else was slowing down as well, so I I was conscious yeah. of what it was, um, but it can hit you pretty hard. Like I suppose we'll talk about that a bit more in TDS, because um, it's no. But
0: I I know um, like Joe McCartney, he's the guy that had the FKT there for the Wickler round. He's a Columbia athlete, and I was surprised that like I spoke to Joe before they went off and. I was surprised that he had done so in his in his own words so badly in the race that the altitude absolutely you know kicked the shit out of him like this is the guy that has the FKT for the Alpachen Way and you know ran around Wicklow no bother to him get, got off a plane you know broke the record got back on a plane and left so you know it's it, it's it's it took out a lot of runners um, absolutely and I know that's a constant thing with all the Americans when the Americans come over and they haven't done the groundwork. Um, or they, they don't do the altitude training or spend their two weeks in the mountains and it just takes them out. And it's a huge lesson for everybody. And the problem is the ski lifts are all booked out. So, you know, you can only book the ski lifts online. So you can't just like rock up and pay to go on the ski lift and try and, you know, fix it that way. So it's it's all part of the plan. Like it needs to be done way in advance, you know, as, you, as you're learning, Rob.
1: As you're learning. I was there a week in advance, which I think helped me. Um, you know, we did go up to some of the... Heights like, um, I, I was actually fine. I don't know whether it's because I do so much in the morns or not. I'm not sure, they're not very high mountains. Like, but I do know friends that arrived the day before UTMB and they yeah. really got knocked over with um altitude sickness. Like, so being there a few days beforehand does really help, like, especially if you're not used to that on, on haven't experienced that before and you don't know what way it's going to affect you because it can no, drain your energy or anything like that at all. So, it is the very last part of the UTMB, which we've talked about, you know, Champagne Lac is a place where you want to be refreshed. We did a podcast previous with me doing the race. So if anybody wants to hear about CCC, go to that. Um, a real first timer doing CCC, which was great. Like, um, Champagne Lac, I came in, at, like, I didn't want to eat. I felt amazing. I didn't want to change any clothes, but I did everything that everybody told me to do, and it didn't work for me. You know, I should have went on my feel and my instinct. And I think that's a key thing in one of these races, be in tune with yourself, understand what's going on, and try and make the right decisions for you, no matter what anybody has said. Um, So TDS then, do you know what it stands for? So sorry, CCC is Comma Year, because it's it's in three different um, countries. Starts in Italy, Comma Year, Champillac in Switzerland, and then Chamonix is in France. TDS, do you know what it stands for? I have it written. Uh, Uh, I can't pronounce I think
0: it's it. Tear, tear the shite out of your stomach.
1: Yeah, that, that's not that's not actually too bad, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Sulitres tres de, le, de Savoy. I'm gonna go with that. Yeah. I apologize to everybody that really can pronounce that properly and understand that. <laughs> It would have obviously killed it.
0: That's the one thing you can't do with the PTL, you see. You have to have that, because there's quite a story behind that, so you kind of have to get that pronunciation right before you jump in the race.
1: So TDS, you need eight points um, over two races. They do last 24 months, I should add, all of them do, so I've got 8 points last year, I didn't get into UTMP, yeah. sorry, 10 points last year I didn't get into UTMP, I can um, enter again, I know it's an unusual year with the uh, COVID, but I can enter again based on those 10 points I got last year, because it lasts for 24 months. TDS had 1785 starters and only 1,091 finishers, so a smaller crowd than the other races, but it did still have a 39% DNF Be warned, everybody. TDS has a huge gathering of Irish people who have got in for the first time, have not been to Chamonix, have not raced these Alpine races, have not had the technical ascents and, even more importantly, descents, have not dealt with the altitude. These things are there. And there's so many people out doing ultra races now in Ireland. And you can get away with it at home. Do you know what I mean? You really can just put one foot in front of the other. But when you have all these other contributing factors coming on top of you, and even what time do you start at?
0: Um, You start at 4:30 a.m. But I think so. So firstly, even even to pull it back a step, it used to be 101k, but 6,500 meter climb, right? So last year was the first year that it was the longer distance of 100 and uh, 160k with the 9,500 meter climb, so...
1: 145k, 140, act- okay. sorry. Uh,
0: 145, sorry, yeah, because it's, it's 171, one seven one one four five, but um, it was 45k more than the previous year, yeah. right? So, because having done the PTL, I kind of said, we'll go back or we'll go back into... The-? And I didn't want to go back into the PTL straight away. I always said I'd wait two years to go back and do it. So I kind of went, do you know what? let's go back and do the TDS and and we'll knock the crack out of it. And they've changed the course. So, you know, I don't really care too much about racing it. Um, I just like to get out and see it. And I was going out to see it more from the perspective of all those places where they teased us during the PTL. I wanted to kind of get back and have a look at the the course from the other side and just kind of see what it was all about. And could I find my way back to where I'd been? And being honest, that was the plan. And, and like, that plan is always good until – like I actually did the court marathon on the way up to it. Um, that plan was great till the start line, and then you thought you were in the race, and that you'd been training for the last six months to do this race, and then you go off and and kind of you know that's what happens. But as you said there, there's a large Irish contingency going to head out to it this year. Um, it's a rough race. Um, you can't like it's very difficult to train for it in Ireland, and and the, and the thing about Ireland is, you know, we can't train to descent, but like you said there about the. Um, the dropouts, but let's talk about like two or two or two three things, right? So, like, you you start this race and and you climb to death <laughs> in a very short time. I mean, when you talk about the altitude, like. You, you go, you, I mean, you go out again out of uh, Cormacore, you have that bottleneck, and everybody's staying in the bottleneck, and everybody's, like you described there, Robbie, you know, trying to get up and go around people, and you know all the nonsense that happens in this race, whether it's the Mont Blanc Ultra, whether it's any of these races, it's the narrow start, and people just need, it's like, for me, being honest, the TDS is nicer in that way, is it kind of calms down a bit for the first 8 or 9K, and then it's like somebody has, you know, the you know in the, the downhill ski, where the lads are, or even on the BMXs where they're rocking the gate, and then the gate opens and the snowboarders go flying down, and that's what this race is like. It comes to a peak, and then everybody just goes nuts on the descent, and it's crazy. It's dark, and it's kind of you put on your head torch, and if you've got a crap head torch, you're going to get milled out of it, and then basically everybody's flying along. It goes way, way, way down, and then you've got another huge climb, and the sun is starting to come up, and you're starting to climb, and it's the altitude kicks in, gets higher and higher, and then there's another huge descent down. And, and like that's what the TDS is made up of. But the problem, the difference between like the UTMB and the TDS is, is the technical it's, it's single tracked, lots of rocks, rough terrain. And the problem is the, the descents are way too much fun. So, what I mean by that is like when you, when you do the descents in UTMB, right, like in CCC, it's like a switchback switch back switch back switch back switch back and you know you can I mean I think you'd agree it's quite wide right like when you come down to call de ferret it's a pretty wide it's not like you' it's not, it's not like a single track I mean it's quite wide you can have you can get overtaken quite easily you know there's room for two or three that can boot down past you TDS, nah it's like you, you kind of are delighted to see people on the descent that are using sticks because you know that they'll be slow enough just to give you time to kind of jump around them and the thing is that you're continuously doing that. Like you're, I found myself jumping down the descents and bouncing from place to place, rather than actually running switchbacks. And I think, you know, when you get to the kind of the call de the you know, um, like when you climb in out of out of uh, I think it's San Mar, Maries at around 51k, there's this huge climb. And by time you come to that, you think, ah, oh, it's all it's all going to be okay now. We're 50k into the race. Mm-hmm. You're going to climb up this and the altitude is just so bad and the heat is coming up and it's like, it's like zombie deck camp. Like you see all these people are just dropping. And the only reason that you know that you're okay is because you can see all these people kind of sitting down and dropping out and, you know, taking our time. And and it's just, again, you go up a climb and then you come down this fantastic descent, which is so much fun. And um, then you just get to Beaufort, which is about 91k, and you see people just melting all around you, pulling out of the race. It's just like a death zone. I think they have buses there that just bus everybody back to the start. I think they lose of the of the dropouts. I think they lost about 80% of the dropouts drop at Beaufort, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, don't continue on. And like I had the same experience. Like it's the only race I've ever been in, and I've kind of done a I've done a number of races where I kind of got in there. And um I wasn't feeling good like you were saying there earlier about your stomach and, and I don't really have the stomach problems as such, but it's it was so bad I went in and um and I kinda sat down and I was like my legs were absolutely hammered and I mean hammered from the descent. A lot of fun, but I was paying the price. Like I mean, my quads weren't my quads weren't sore, man. They were popping. They were like going and they wouldn't stand like when I'd stand, I kept getting a heartbeat in them. So I said, Okay, I'm gonna sit down here. I tried to take a painkiller, and I reached into my bag to take out some water, and next thing I just went, Bruh! all this kind of black vomit kind of came flying out of me. And, like, the funny thing about it was, right, I arrived into that station, and I sat down, there was a French guy next to me, and um, I took out, I had wipes, and uh, I started wiping, and I offered him three wipes. And he was like, oh, yeah, thank you very much, and he took the three wipes, right? And then I drank the water, and then I vomited so wide, I had vomited all over his arm there, yeah. So I had just I just had handed a guy three wipes, and I basically vomited all over him. So he knew what the wipes were for. <laughs> but basically, because it was so black, I got a bit of a fright. So I went to the um, to the medic, and like it was everywhere. It was all down my front, all over my legs, fucking everywhere. And I was just like, I looked at her, and she just went, "Oh, lie down and put on the the yoke and took my blood pressure." And she just went, "Best thing for you is to." Just lie there for half an hour. I'll wake you up and then we'll see. But, like, I give myself such a fright. I was like, going, fuck, I'm out of the race. You know, because, like, I was like, going, okay, clearly, I babbled all over myself. It's all black. Don't know what it is. And uh, she's telling me to lie down for half an hour. So my head was like, okay, I'll lie down for half an hour, but I'm gone. But I got back up and I turned, I went over to her and I was like, um, I said, okay. And she's like, okay, go on. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, "I'm with the race. And I was after like, texting Ian gone. I'm fucking after pluking a black everywhere. I said, I'm in fucking bits. And he was like kind of saying to me, it was like one o'clock in the morning with him or something. He's like going, oh, right. Okay. He was doing the UTMB and he's going to, you okay, you're going to race on. I said, oh, and I, then I just texted him back going, oh, I'm going to go to the next checkpoint, which is about seven kilometers up the hill. And I'd see how I feel. And like, I left there like feeling feel like absolute shit. And then I went up to the next checkpoint, which was 7K on. And it was the same thing, felt terrible, no energy, yada, 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 kept on going and basically went there, sat down. Then this lady came in and said, hey, does anybody want to get a bus back to Chamonix? And I was like (laughs) putting my hand up and down. And like that was only like, you know, what's that, like 78, 90K into the race and I've only like got 50 to go. But anyway, like, I went up to, I remember, I think it's called, um, is it uh, Col de Jolie? Sorry, Col de Jolie. And I kind of felt, the only reason I went to Col de Jolie because I thought it was a cool name. And I said, you know, if it's Col de Jolie, I'm sure that's going to cheer me up. Kind of, you know, just trying to put something in my head to kind of keep myself going and went there and just got in there and I went, okay, I'm starting to feel better. Drank the old soup, the old faithful. I said, this never lets me down. Had the soup, had the crackers. Walked out the door and just, boom everywhere, couldn't keep it down trotted down, so look the race continued and I was, I was absolutely miserable but I was a bit like, I convinced myself that look, you just kind of came out to enjoy the scenery don't get so upset, just get yourself home and you'll have, you'll have finished the TDS and you'll have done it and it'll be fine <laughs> and I was saying all this stuff to myself and you kind of come into Les Zeus which is the opposite to the fucking UTMB so you've got 8k to go right, so that bloody express train that you rode out of UTMB to Lezouche at a million miles an hour just now becomes the worst place on the planet to be because you've come down off all the mountains and you've got 8K left and you've vomited so much. You've got absolutely no energy and you just cannot run and it's flat. So it's like the total opposite to UTMB. It's like the UTMB, whoo, express train out of there. TDS, die. And then I couldn't run. For the last 8K, I couldn't run. And embarrassingly, Ian was so happy, you know, that I was on the way back. He decided to have a jog 3K out to meet me so that he can run in with me. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I can't even run. Like, I'm in bits. I'm telling you, I've just been puking, like, since. 90K, no energy, haven't eaten food, tried to drink Coke, just came out. Everything's just going blah, blah, blah. And I just finished. Uh, it was a fucking, it was a nightmare. You
1: remind you reminded me of something there when you said about taking the soup and then you just sort of threw up. Um, on the second last climb, as I was coming down, I hadn't eaten for like five hours, like, and I <laughs> we walked into this place, and you'll know this if I describe it properly, like, but it was like a cow shed, and it's got like a trough down the middle of the shed, and it was one of the fuel huts, and it was. I walked in, I was like, Jesus, this place is like a morgue, you know? There was so <laughs> many people with their hands in there. Yeah. On the you know, their elbows on their knees and their hands and their heads, like, and I thought, jeez, I'm not stopping here. Like, and I just went right through it. Cause it was it really was like walking into a wake. <laughs> there were so many bad shaped Incredible. people there. Yeah. But I took um a cup of noodle soup on the way out because like I have to get something into me. And I walked out and my stomach went Rrr. and I just wanted to throw it up, but it was all vegetable patches, <laughs> and it was somebody's garden. there was two people standing there. <laughs> And so I sort of had to hold it in, like, until I got out of these gardens to let it go, like. But it was funny because I just went <gasps> and looked up, but there's two people standing there watching me, and they're like, "Am I going to throw up over their cabbages or not?" Like, <laughs> but yeah, it does get you. Boy, so TDS is one of the easier ones to get in. There's loads of people put there in for the lottery for UTMB. Didn't get in this year. Loads of people got in, put in for TDS, and nearly everybody that I know did get in. So give me a bit of a rundown of your kit going into that race. You talked about how important the shoes and the socks were. Like I, I wore a Speedgoat 4, which were a size bigger than mine, with a dry sock. The dry socks you get, um, which are double thickness in them, give me plenty of room. Um, I had no issues with my feet at all. Um, what do you call it? Squirrel nut butter? Or some sort of lubricant on my feet as well. Like, um but give me a breakdown of your kit going into TDS. I know there'll be people listening to this, especially... Yeah. We yeah
0: um. Shoes are hugely important because there's so many rocks. Um, so I'm swearing by the Columbia FKTs. They're probably the best shoes I've ever worn, <laughs> to be honest. Um,
1: there's a lot of people wearing them. Because like, I, I know when yeah. I was at the start and then I was going, oh, do you know... And everyone was like, saying you're not going to change your shoes, and I was almost tempted to buy a pair when I was there because there was so yeah. many people wearing them.
0: They're like they're the bomb because they have the grip, they have the comfort, and they have the style. No, they're they're. they're but they they're
1: are just, designed. They're designed for that, aren't they? Like purely for yeah, those races, the, like
0: the ones I wore were for the the UTMB specifics. So let me explain to you why. Though, right? so and I've kind of spent a bit of time on this. So so basically, the there's two things. So if, if you wear the Solomons versus the the Columbia ones, uh, the design is the box is bigger. So there's a slight bigger box in the front. I don't know if you wear the speed cross or the X or the Wings or any of them. Yeah. It's quite a narrow toe. So basically when you're running on those downhills, which there's lots of your front toe is naturally coming up. So it's always hitting that, that squeeze in the box. So you're getting black nails. I've never got a black nail in the FKT. That's the first thing. The second thing is if you look at the Salmons on the back of the ankle socket, there's a special design in the Columbias and I know because they wear the Colorados but it, it just goes down deeper with a further to up the top so it's a it's a rolling prevention mechanism whereas if you look at the Salomons, they all have the low the low socket on the ankle so mm. it's it's the sturdiness and the comfort of the shoe and
1: um it's quite can, easy uh, it's quite easy to roll your feet as well like
0: well once you do it there like if you roll your like the thing is, you roll your toes as well as your ankles, right? So when you roll your toes, they're going to blister. So you roll your ankles, they're going to blister, and it's both connected to the, you know, those different sockets of your foot. So it's very important to get the shoes right, and and it's, but it's, on the other side, like if the FKTs work for you, it's job done, right? Because there's so many races you can do the FKTs on. And then, if you want to do something lighter, you get lighter shoes for the shorter, you know, the 10k, 15k runs. But the FKTs will do any of, whether it's Lavaredo, Tour de Gaunt, you know, any of the UTMB races, like anything that's 50 plus, you know, sorry, anything that's 35 plus, they're perfect for. Whether it's the Sky Run up up above in the mornings or, you know, any of them, I've worn them to all the races and that ah, they're oh, yeah. they're the job.
1: So what about socks then?
0: Ah, I'd wear I'm I'm brutal for the socks man i'm the wrong person um the catalan those um those yeah. craft socks i swear by them the long ones and the short ones i just think they're the best you know the ones with the heel and the ank and the toe on them <laughs> um,
1: i use dry socks but they're really hard to get from the ultra running sh- store do the um do them i never get any blisters and like <laughs> if i'm running through like swamps or rivers for some reason they don't affect my feet whatsoever like so the ice, but they're hard, hard to get them. Like, and you can't tell the difference. Like, I can run through a river and just run on then, through the lakes of the Mons and you won't even feel the difference from it. Um, and you
0: said that the stuff on your toes. You're using the um,
1: the squirrel nut butter. I don't know what I use. I yeah. use Vaseline for the actual CCC, but it was Courtney Dewalter. Um, I heard her say it. Give me a tip, and I bought it afterwards, and it is absolutely brilliant. I have to say, like, um, for all places that shave. <laughs> Um, I, I done my last five point race to get into UTMB was a race called the rebellion. Like I was nearly put out of that race for chafing. It was in November. It was wet. And I wore a pair of leggings that didn't breathe. And yeah, I suppose that's the next place. Like, so what do you wear? Do you just wear shorts or do you wear leggings or I've got the innovate eight now leggings, which are absolutely brilliant. The fit are amazing. They breathe, but they are expensive. Like, but you do get what you sort of pay for.
0: Yeah, again, I, I'm kind of – I really like the the Columbia shorts that have the lining on the inside. I used to wear the Salomon, the kind of the Killian Journey specials. Um, I wear the, the Columbia one that has the kind of – it's got a better lining on the inside for me. It doesn't cut the inside out of me anyway. Leggings, I kind of like – I think uh, just avoid the Nike ones for whatever reason. The Nike ones seem to cut the life out of me. Um, and I think everything else seems to be okay, whether it's the – i've got columbia leggings um or else i've worn the innovates in the past which have also been very good i've worn nike and just regretted it immediately and actually like the three people on my team at the time on the adventure racing team all had the same complaint: they just ripped the balls you. they're just terrible things whatever it is, whatever it is about them.
1: it was the night ones that i had on during sorry nike um during the rebellion <laughs> and i actually had to stop like it was a 75 oh, mile race and it nearly put me out of yeah. the race. Only I had my emergency kit and I had an eye patch, which saved. It didn't go on my eye. That's all I'm saying. Um, but the Nikes just didn't breathe at all. Like, so it's really trial and error. You should know. You should know by the time.
0: i you put your balls in an eye cap That's all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> o-
1: only one of them. Only one of them. <laughs>
0: But the it's actually you know it was um, UTMB 2013 was actually when I started my my um, my Columbia journey because the Omni Heat top was recommended to me uh, for the base layer and like I just haven't looked back since their stuff is just incredible um, and like it's like it's it's ironic that we ended up being sponsored by them in uh, 2015 for the European Champs Adventure Racing but the but the gear, like, is just super. That omni-heat layer in it, especially for the UTMB where it gets cold so fast in the nighttime, and it's so light, so you're kind of getting a light top that's a base layer that will make you warm pretty quickly. So, Because I've worn other stuff, like, because, like, I just found them a lot better than the, and I'm not trying to pump it up, than the Hallie Hansen. It's just, like, my skin just seemed to react much better to them, so.
1: And then your poles, then, I suppose, are a key part to play. So I use the diamond yeah. carbon poles. Um, yeah. Le- Leckie is a favorite of people as well.
0: Yeah, so I've had them both. Um, smashed both of them at the PTL. So not good for that race. Um, I have to say, for the if you're going to bring a pair for the TDS, make sure you have a strong pair. Don't go for those light Leckies. They're, they're not going to last. There's so much rock in the TDS, especially if you use poles on the descent. They're going to be gone. Um, PTL broke two sets of sticks.
1: Yeah, and it's it's a key thing like in TDS because you are going to need poles. I know we had Anna Carlson on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. She broke her poles as well. Um, She actually came fourth in the race. I do think it's like Ian as well, when I podcast him, he said, make sure they're good and strong. Now, I go for the carbon ones because I'm slow. But, But, I mean, are they solid, you know? Yeah. Well, they've worked for me, but you you know there's a couple of times like the seven sisters. I was doing a race and I come down. Well, I was wearing the speed goats as well to protect my feet, and it was too slippy. I should have had um, some innovates on or something. Um, and three or four times, them things stuck when I slipped, and they bent like I don't know what. They were just on the verge of breaking. Like um, you don't want to, you do not want your poles to break. You almost you don't be thinking that you have to save a few grams and go carbon poles if they break in TDS you're going to be in a lot of pain like
0: yeah and i think like i think the, the places to pay attention for in terms of gear right are you know you can get a a good light a good headlamp right and now i think you need two headlamps um and spare batteries for both so make sure you have the correct amount of headlamps and batteries and buy them but yep. while you're going to skim on weight right don't skim on visibility because Remember when you go to UTMB or especially the TDS for the first time you're going to run down a mountain that is nothing like the terrain that you have in Ireland so you're definitely going to want a headlight on your head like don't buy one of those 10 15 20 euro lights because they're small and you know you can buy them in Aldi or Lidl and it was cheap like i think it's so important that the first headlight that you have when you get into that night section and you turn it on That you've got a good light and that you can see where you're going. I think a tip for people, and it was a tip I was given to in UTMB, is that when you are racing the TDS for the first time, or well, more the UTMB, because sometimes being with somebody in the TDS can be a hindrance because it's actually so tight on the downhills. But in the UTMB, it makes sense to hunt in packs, you know, that there's two, three headlights on the route, so that if you're traveling, that you travel, you know, don't leave a transition on your own. Try and leave with somebody so that you're going on the climb so you can either follow their steps up the climb or you're sharing a headlight so you're not feeling isolated and then you're starting to feel low very, very quickly. Yeah. You know, try and travel up packs, it's a good idea, you know.
1: I I, was, on those last three climbs, I just followed people's heels. You know, I was struggling on the downhills, but on the uphills, I just thought, right, I'll hook onto you. And <laughs> just watching people's yeah. heels all the way up. Absolutely. Like, they'll just um, drag you up. And it's funny, like, because... <laughs> I was halfway up I was talking French or Italian or Germany or oh, sorry German I couldn't speak either of those languages but they were talking to me and I was responding in the same language as they were like <laughs> just like
0: all so sorts of things fluent. I was yeah, fluent in every
1: language um, but from a light's perspective the two lights that I brought were the Petzl Neo which was 750 lumens yeah. which is brilliant yeah, light really but cool. the one yeah. key thing about it is as well is the spare battery that you can bring with that you can bring two or three without they're quite light easy to change and they are expensive um but like it's i i do a lot of racing at night not racing sorry a lot of training at night with those and i find it just as easy if not easier than day because you've got a good light um but for my spare light i did it's not that i cheap i went cheap on it it's one i did sort of look for online and it was the e-light i'm hoping right. not to use it it's only 50 looms um but it's 26 grams it's 20 quid a lot of people use that but that's a gamble from a perspective of you're hoping not to use that and if you do use do you have to use that i know billy reid did use yeah. it in utmb and that's 50 looms compared to 750 like that is a slow tentative
0: Yeah. I think, yeah. Like that's gonna slow you down. Like I mean, you know, like for the amount of grams that you're going to save, like 140 and I
1: thought, grams for the the Petzl nail. Like I actually have two of them now. Like, but I suppose the key the point is forget about the weight, isn't it? Yeah. That that's really the tip that we're really given here is forget about the weight. You need to carry what you need to carry so that you can race comfortably and most effectively and efficient as you can.
0: Yeah, and you've got to be prepared for that. I mean, I think that's what that's what makes you finish a race. And that's the difference between, I mean, I know a lot of people are kind of talking about doing well on a race, but you still got to finish that race. Um, and, you know, bad gear, just not a good idea.
1: Yeah, because the numbers are TDS and UTMB last year was a 38, 39% fallout in both races. And it was like 25, 26% in CCC. Do you know what I mean? And, and the likes are like, at home, we do skimp on gear. We do go for weight. We do do that because the races are shorter. You're used to them. 50K races. You will get through a 50K race no matter what. Like, even in the dark with no bloody head torch, you'll still scramble through it at some stage. Like, But in these yeah, type well, of yeah, races, you've spent a lot of money. You've invested a lot of time. Really, really difficult to get in. Don't skimp on 100 grams. Stop eating the biscuits. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Exactly. I mean, it's the thing in cycling, isn't it? You see the guys, like, you know, with their 4,500 euro carbon bike, and then there's six Mars bars, sell a tape to the crossbar.
1: <laughs> we're <laughs> four stone overweight, like, and, like, we're lovely, like. So before we go, then, it's been great, by the way, yeah. unpacking this race. I'm really actually wishing Thanks. I was going myself. So the Tour de Gion is outside of that race, but it's, when's that? It's like the first week of September.
0: Yeah, it's usually two weeks after the PTL, so that's normally 28, 14th to September, yeah. But it's about two weeks because I just know that only because uh, my good friend Adrian was trying to do them back to back, and I've always thought he was a nut job. But anyway.
1: Well, he was a nut job for trying to do that. Um, it first came on my radar when Nikki Spinks done it this year. Um, Paul Paul Tierney was um crewing for a um amazing like 330 kilometers. But it must be amazing though like what a great way to see the mountains like 330 kilometers is it how does this race yeah. compare then to the ptl is a different race yeah. altogether. yeah it is i
0: mean so firstly it doesn't start in chamonix it starts in carmajor so it's um it's quite funny. I, like it's in Italy. It starts in Italy, and I remember handing in my passport, and the guys just started laughing at me, going, "You're Irish. What are you doing here? You don't have mountains. You have small hills." <laughs> and that was my um, that was my start to the race. They're very different races. I mean, firstly, you don't have to nav and and Tour de Jean. Uh, actually, Robbie Britton kind of I thought described it quite well to me. He felt it was a an eating competition rather than a race, because um, like the if you think the ones in UTMB are good, I mean you should see the feed stations and Tour de Gaunt. Like, I mean, there's like beer, wine, cheese, pasta, pizza. I mean, it's incredible. Like you 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 race from kind of village to village a bit more. Like in the PTL, there's only six huts, right? So there's no villages. Um you there's like tape every kilometer, five hundred meters to a kilometer. There's like that little yellow tape, so you're continuously following it. Now there is like torture, like I mean it's three hundred thirty k. You know there's a lot of climbing it, um, there's a lot of coffee, uh, but like some of the some of the parts, like the halfway part, is quite difficult. I mean I yeah, think I twenty four
1: thousand meters in it, like so over seventy thousand feet. That's a lot. Yeah, like. the hardest
0: part, Robbie, is you know when you hit the hundred and ten mark, there's that thirty k descent, and. Um, to descend for 30 kilometers is just something that your brain can't even comprehend. And like it's a descent that you come down for 30K, but not only do you come down, but they kind of bring you down. In Like in this race, it's terrible. They keep on trying to bring you down off the mountain, and you think you're going to come way down. And it's just to bring you into a village for two minutes, and then they bring you back up again. And you get really cross because you, you kind of say, I could have just went across the valley. Or I could have just contoured around that mountain. You keep on bringing me down to look at these grapes or flowers in the shop or something, and then I have to, got to go back up again. And they continue to do that through the race. And um, it's quite funny, like from that perspective, because you just get so annoyed, like because you're you want to just keep climbing, climbing, climbing. It's like down, up, down. But like on the 30k descent, then like I was lucky because I had read uh, Adrian Tucker's blog beforehand, and it was really long. It was like 16 pages in vivid detail. And they bring you down to the ascent. and again, rather than going straight, 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 straight down, they zigzag you across this bridge and make you kind of walk down these Roman steps. You know, these really old cobble steps where your knees are banjoed from coming down a 10k descent. And then you cross another bridge as if, as if they're bringing you across another bridge because they found some other horrible steps on that side, and you're going down that. And it continues to do that the whole way down. And then when you come right back down to the village. The village has got the worst cobblestones you've ever witnessed in your life. And then you walk across them and then they bring you to this sharp descent on tarmac that's got these zigzags and eventually you get down to the hut and you're just going, why? It's just, like, it's just torture. But, um, I mean, look, it's the only race, like, where, like, like you were there talking about, (laughs) I'm just laughing at you. You were like going, oh, I was speaking German and French. Like, they warn you in this race that you'll be on your own for a long time, right? And, like, I was on my own for 16 hours. But, like, it's the only race that I've kind of really been in and didn't know where I was and had to ask somebody where was I and kind of didn't know my time of day. And I was trying to wonder um, had I got the time right or wrong. I remember being in this um, transition and going, no, 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 here you're allowed to sleep for two hours. She's like, no, 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 that's the next one. And I, which meant I could only sleep for half an hour. So I had to move on. And I'd got my race plan kind of slightly wonked, you know. And then I went on and, you know, got to it. Like, but I remember, like, it's, it's the Aosta Valley that you're racing, right? And um, I was – so I was probably, like, if the Aosta Valley is like this, I was on, say, the right-hand side because people can't see what I'm doing on the podcast and going around the curve, right? And I said to this French guy, "Where is the next um, where is the next base? And he looked across and he went, oh, it's just over there, right? And what was just over there was a light in a hut just over there. But because it was pitch dark, I couldn't see that we were like 45 kilometers around the valley to get there. And it just, like, because it tortured me because I kept on thinking we were going to have a left turn just to go back to that point. But, I mean, the guy should have said It's over there, but by the way, we've got to go 35k around to get there. And he just left that bit out and it just tort like these are my memories of the torture parts of the race in the dark. So it's around the valley. I mean, it's steepness that we don't have. I mean, it's the Osta Valley, it's it's like that. It's up and down. It does have some zigzags. Just the climbs are savage. They are severe climbs. And then you'll be on a path, and again, it's back to a huge amount of boulders, like you're looking for like at one stage, you're just in these kind of high boulder mountains trying to see where the tape is because you're in so long into the race. You don't want to make a wrong turn. You don't want to miss a tape and that kind of way. And as I was getting to there, as the storm came in, I ended up being with a Korean guy. And like, I mean, I know about as much Korean as you do. <laughs> so we actually ended up being together for about 16 hours in the race together. Like, you know, just kind of going, <laughs> you know, but it was much better because two of us to try and find the tapes is better than one because yeah. when you're on your own at, at night, I mean it's the reflective stuff. So you know your head torch does go off, it but it's on a boulder. It can be windy, blown that way or that way. So the nighttime parts on your own are quite savage. Going, you've got to you've got to have your brain on and you're absolutely continuously focused and trying to find. And but in fairness, the race is a lot more readable. Like it does flow, it does go in a direction. Like the Aosta Valley is a, is a valley, right? Whereas PTL is just like glunk, 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 is how it feels do you know what I mean where it doesn't feel that it has the same level of direction but at least in that one it flows and it's kind of nice because the first half is the rough half you know it's got a lot of hard climbs descents you get into the 130 you climb to the 220 then when you start to get into the 210 230 it kind of it's more green less rocky and it's kind of softer so it kind of goes out nice and softly for the last 100k it's not a great statement <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, where I, do i sign up where do i sign up <laughs>
0: but that's kind of the way that's the way that kind of race kind of but goes it, it like has so. like
1: a 60 percent dnf rate believe it or not like that's huge and which is
0: really amazing comparing to the ptl but that would just tell you you know look at the way they get in right so um like to get into the tour de Jean, there's no points like it's a raffle It's that online lottery where they take all the names and then they allocate a number of people per country, not based on your level, your activity. Like, it's the one race that you can get into having just done 5K. It's ridiculous. Like, given what it is, you know, given that it's 330, of course it has a 60% DNF. And that's not due to the difficulty of the race, because the PTL is a far more difficult race for many different reasons. And you know because it doesn't have the same level of food, it doesn't have the same level of comfort, the same level of trail, the same level of huts, you know, the whole way along. And because you're to nav drains your energy as well as you're climbing, you know. So it's not a path laid out in front of you. You're you're naving, you're wandering, you're climbing. You know, there's a, there's a lot more to it. I mean, I, I would th- I would certainly feel there's a lot more to PTL than there is to Tour de Jean. So the, how, the how long
1: dra- how long would it take you then to do the Tour, tour de Jean?
0: Uh, four and a half days, I'd say, in comparison.
1: How long have you got to finish it?
0: Uh, about five and a half days.
1: Okay, is the tight? Is are uh, the time check points pretty tight? So, were you pretty happy with them?
0: No, it's no, they're pretty. No, I'm pretty happy you, with them. Did you have to be aware you, of them,
1: or you have? Did you no, have to really, be aware no. of? Them?
0: You, you do have to be aware of them, but the only reason that you have to be aware of them is because as the race goes on you could sleep for a long time very easily so you need to be careful on the sleep part but you've got quite a lot of time to finish it you know it's it's good time the problem in PTL is that you're restricted in the huts to an hour and a half sleep in some of them so even if you get there you're not going to have a big kip anyway you know so and it's like I mean it was amazing actually like the I remember in the PTL um, we went for a sleep um, me and my two teammates and I told the guys that we were going to go for an hour and a half sleep and I woke up after 20 minutes but I told the people in the place um, when we woke up make sure that you tell the guys that we need to go we need to go so I had the whole thing set up that when we woke up they thought they had an hour and a half sleep and we were ready to go and we'd only slept for 20 minutes and away we went but everybody was into it <laughs> they were all like yeah yeah
1: yeah, yeah. You, go, you, you go you go you go So I'm going to go back to my original question as you sip your beer. (laughs) On May the 20th, the organizers of UTMB are going to announce whether or not um, this year's race is going to go ahead. 10,000 people racing, um, 50,000 spectators. It sounds like it's unlikely, but there are ways around that, I suppose. You know, there could be an elite field out. There could be, you know, just the top 100 people race. Um, Do you think that it's going to go ahead or not?
0: The only reason I think it's going to go ahead is because the Tour de France is scheduled for the 29th. I think the Tour de France has got far more problems than UTMB has. I think the UTMB would be a far more controllable space. So if you kind of got into, if we did get into the situation, and this is really speaking hypothetically, that contract tracing was European wide. You could do the UTMB very easily. I mean, you could. Like, I think you won't be able to go to the UTMB if you have symptoms, because I don't think you'd get near an airport. So, if we end up being in that situation, you know, um, that they're able to control the movement of people like the virus through contract tracing and testing, you know, I think it's achievable, and that's maybe very, very positive. Mm. Um, and I'm only, I'm only saying that because Tour de France is scheduled for the 29th, Uh, It's a a bigger bigger isn't
1: it? You've got, like, if you're an optimist, then you'll feel, you can see the reasons on how it can actually work. Um, I know the likes of the Seven Sisters this year, which is in the middle of August. Um, Munan is really, really hoping that he goes ahead with that race. It's 300 people. It might be international. He's waiting for the Irish government to, you know, give the guidelines on that. And then with a bit of creativity with a race like that, which is totally different than UTMB, obviously it's a small number of people across quite a wide space um, of 50 kilometers. Like you could make it happen. Like, um, so that would be the optimist. But the pessimist would say Mm. 10,000 people, 50, you know, that's never going to work, blah, blah, blah. Um, But it is three months. The reason why the 20th of May is because they're giving people three months then to sort out what's going to happen. Like, so I think they're being... Fair enough in that. I know people are getting frustrated at the minute. I'm so sort of happy. Um, I found out early because Lavaredo was cancelled early. It's at the end of June, but now I'm not happy because yeah. I don't have a race. <laughs> yeah, it's come. It's come <laughs> to that now.
0: Just do the thousand K across Tennessee. Um, but I think, like, yeah, so exactly that. Like, so look, the difference is, you know, i I was going back to to do TDS this year, and I've done it last year, so. Like as I kinda of said at the start, we are because we run, we need goals. Um, and we definitely do. And I didn't really even realise that until I did the virtual fifty K last week where I was like a different person on Monday because I'd had my i had my rush, you know, I'd had my target, i had my goals, I'd had achieved them as, you know, out running and purpose everything
1: something. we were doing.
0: Yeah. And it makes such a difference on your mental impact, it's incredible. But like like you're saying there, so what we did was we have a plan. A plan B. So basically, if we don't get to UTMB at the end of August, we've got to run myself and tour. Um, we're going to do a run in September, which is a it's a it's a self challenge. So we plan to run from the probably the north of Iceland to the south. So we're going to do the 375 coast to coast. So we like we're kind of going we're right going that way or that way, but we needed a goal. Like we're kind of going if we're not mm-hmm. going to do that. What are we going to do? So, we're, we're, we're going to plan Iceland kind of in parallel and then just kind of have a plan that we let her flip for one to, or the other. So, but again, we'll be going back to PTL next year. And, you know, so that kind of makes us happy.
1: Yeah. What about the Morris Mullins Ultra then? Because you are, you're the race director now <laughs> for the yeah. last couple of years. Damn it. Ask <laughs> me the hard questions. <laughs> uh, so,
0: and that's why I was kind of listening to the news just before we get on. So if you kind of look at it, we have the same attitude. Um, we're going to kind of work off the principle of a six-week before we start the Morris Mullen. Um, so we'd need a six-week period to open. So it's currently scheduled for the 30th of May. Um, we kind of we had a meeting last week, and we decided on the meeting that we would wait to see what the announcement would be, but that we hoped to work on the principle of once races are allowed, that we would try and um, open the the Summer League two weeks after the restrictions were lifted that we can race again. Um, it kind of sounds to me, what I listened to today, being honest, is there's a phase for the 18th of May, there's a phase for three weeks after the 18th of May, which is bringing to the first week of June, and there's a phase after that, which would be July. So I really can't see any race, any small in races. I'm talking about the 200 um, kind of races there's no way we're going to get a, a race like that until middle of July. So if you think about that principle, the earliest you would see the Morris Mullen happen would probably be mid-August, and then you'd probably see the Wickloway race probably come into September, and you'd have to worry about the Carryway the Ultra and stuff like that. You know? So, look, that's all very hypothetical at the moment until we kind of have a meeting to really decide. But going on today's announcement, that's kind of where you would see it ending up I'd say you'd be looking at mid-July to be honest because we have that actually scheduled in for the start of June but we were waiting until today and I'd say that would be probably the next time that we'd be able to have a race at that end.
1: Richard, thanks very much. Anyway, I really appreciate that. We're going to wrap it up at that. I think we we got something. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eventually. No, I really enjoyed that. Um, I've drunk four cans that's of Guinness nice. so that's the first time that's happened. That's a PB for me in a <laughs> podcast like no, it was excellent. Really, really good. I'm definitely going to get it out before the 20th of May because <laughs> <That> <laughs> if everybody gets bad news on the 20th of May, this podcast is going to take a nosedive day when nobody's going to want to listen to it. Like, So I'm going to publish it next Friday. Um, appreciate Brilliant. your time. It was excellent. I really enjoyed it anyway.
0: Yeah, me too, man. Thanks very much. Thanks for taking the time out. Chat right, to Rich. you Rich. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Bye. all right. You're right. You're right.
1: Well, that was an episode and a half. I feel like I've toured the UTMB mountain range. Really enjoyed recording this last Friday night over a few pints of Guinness. Hopefully the noise interference didn't take away anything from the great content. It's a super episode for anyone looking to take on one of the seven UTMB races or the Tour de Jean which takes place a week or two after the UTMB. I've had a few issues with iTunes and Apple Podcasts this week, but the podcast should be up again on these platforms in the next few days. You can still find us on in and Spotify, so make sure you download and start to follow. If you haven't already, why not join us on our Facebook group under the same name, The Inspirational Runner. Sharon Gator on the podcast next week. So until then, stay safe and keep on moving.